Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 356, Seminary Student Takes Trinity Class, Becomes Unitarian, Part 1. My guest today, Mr. Johnny Barnes, earned a Master of Arts in Theological Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary in 2022. Entering seminary, he had no interest in deviating from the normal sorts of views about the doctrine of the Trinity but he couldn't help but notice that many of the texts traditionally appealed to to support the idea that God is a trinity were, well, less than fully clear. Like a good Protestant, or we might say, like a good Berean, see Acts 17.11, he respectfully studied up on what mainstream traditions say about the doctrine of the trinity. But he also tested these claims against the New Testament. To his surprise, he learned that the minority report, Unitarian Christian Theology, makes better sense of the New Testament as a whole. Johnny Barnes is what I call a whistleblower, an insider, someone with excellent evangelical credentials, no cultic connections, and no oddball ideological commitments who, to his surprise, came to see that the mainstream Reformation did not go far enough when it comes to our doctrine of God. Johnny Barnes, welcome to the Trinity's Podcast. Hey, Dale. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. So we just met at the recent second annual conference of the Unitarian Christian Alliance, And I just found out a little bit about you and that you have this interesting theological journey that you've been on. And I purposely waited because I want to hear it for the first time on the Trinity's podcast. (laughs) So tell us, Johnny, a little bit about your growing up, your spiritual background and things like that. Yeah. So first off, I want to say thanks for having me. It's it's really great. And um, your podcast and also your debates were one of the things that even led me um, to become a biblical Unitarian. So hmm. I will always be thankful to you and um, to just all the other resources out there. So I wanted to say that off the bat. Yeah, so my story a little bit, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, so I kind of come from that background in Texas here. And I wasn't really a Christian growing up, but um, you know, went to, went to church, that's, that's the background. That's what all my family goes to, my uncles and aunts and everybody. Hmm. So, you know, naturally, later now, I've received a lot more backlash <laughs> uh, because of that. But anyways, uh, then, you know, kind of became a Christian genuinely in college. And was that through a college ministry or something like that? It was actually a camp um, at Texas A&M. I went to Texas A&M. And mm. um, yeah, there's this camp called Impact. And it was supposed to be an intro camp into the university, but they were really sly. And it basically was a church camp, which is great. It was really, really cool. Some really genuine people there. But anyways, yeah, so, you know, my faith journey was there. Obviously, it was in the Trinitarian Church. And, you know, for about five years, I did that, graduated. So what did you study at Texas A&M other than Aggie jokes? 
<laughs> yeah, that's. I'm that's from a, Texas. A, I know about those. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I actually studied um, manufacturing, mechanical engineering, technology. Oh wow! So, engineering, you know, uh-huh. for short. But yeah, so I've noticed that a few people in the Unitarian world do come from that engineering background. So uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, certain kinds of backgrounds, people expect real things to make sense, like computer science. Yeah, the hard sciences, engineering. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the big things, and and we'll, and I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, absolutely. I, I think the Bible should make sense, and we shouldn't appeal to mystery when the Bible doesn't appeal to mystery. Mm. So that was a big thing. But anyways, yeah. So after that, you know, I, I became a youth pastor. I was really praying through, you know, what I want to do with my life, and so I became a youth pastor. Um, did that for a few years, and then I was like, man, I, I really just want to learn the Bible better. Like, I feel like I'm teaching people the Bible, but I don't really know it that well. So then I decided to go to seminary, and I went to a Dallas Theological Seminary. And how did you end up picking DTS? I was actually the very first student at a Reformed Theological Seminary uh, in Dallas. There's a Dallas campus that they had just opened up. Oh, it kind of swallowed up another seminary that was was doing poor financially. Uh And so I was actually the first RTS student in Dallas. And I kind of realized that I was going to be taking all of my classes from basically two or three professors. Mm. And so I I just felt like, man, you know, there's this world-renowned seminary right next to me. I'm going to go there. I think I'll be missing out if I don't. So... So were you sort of in some sense reformed in your theological orientation at that point? Well, <laughs> great, great question. Um, actually, I, the only reason I went to RTS originally was because my church was willing to help pay for it, but they mm-hmm. weren't willing to help pay for DTS because it was a Presbyterian church. Oh, They align much more theologically with RTS than with DTS. So mm-hmm. that's why I originally went there. But Eventually, I was just like, you know, the extra thousand dollars is not worth getting a, a worse education. Um, so, and not not to say RTS is a worse education, it's just that that particular campus, I just felt that I was missing out on some really world-renowned scholars and stuff. So, Was it basically remote learning then, like online stuff? That was also another problem, a little bit of online, but it was also, you know, we would do those classes where the whole class was in one week, basically. Uh, uh-huh. um, and those just, you don't get quite as much out of those, I don't think. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was another reason as well. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about DTS. Did you like it? Were you married at this time? Were you also working? Yeah. So I was married. Yes, we, we got married when I was a youth pastor. Um, mm-hmm. And her name is Chloe, Chloe Barnes. She's a um, flight attendant right now. So she's actually stationed in Miami, which is crazy. Um, I live in Dallas. She lives in Miami. This is just for two months. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to come back to Dallas. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, we're married. We're enjoying DTS. I'm, I enjoyed DTS. I, I loved my time there. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot of really great things. The thing I'm probably most grateful for is the languages and, you know, a lot of the books and things I could have read on my own, you know, some of the Bible classes, like, yeah, you've heard a lot of this in church and, and whatever. If, you, if you've read a decent amount of theological books, you've probably read most of that, that you're going to learn. But the languages was really eye-opening for me, and especially in my journey towards Unitarianism. 
one of the things that was the most influential in me becoming a Unitarian was how I started to notice that all the Trinitarian passages either had textual problems or translation problems. Or interpretation problems. Or interpretation problems, mm-hmm. exactly. And after about the seventh or eighth one, I was I was almost coming to expect it. So like, you know, I would look over a passage and be like, okay, you know, how do Unitarians understand this? How do Trinitarians understand this? And then I would kind of notice, oh, wow, there's like a pretty bad translation problem or, or wow, half the manuscripts, you know, in John 1.18 don't actually say God. So I started noticing this pattern and basically I came to expect it. So like when I would come along a new Trinitarian passage, I'd be like, well, <laughs> this probably doesn't say what they think it says. And it's so I would go look at probably going to be problematic. Greek. Yeah. How did you even know that there were such things as Unitarian Christians? My friend Keegan Chandler, who grew up in Texas Baptist, basically had never heard of them until surprisingly late in life. So why, yeah. why did you have that in mind, you know, as a DTS student? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll go ahead and get into kind of how I started looking into it. So I took a whole class on the Trinity. There's a DTS, it might be the only seminary in the U.S., I would say, maybe, that has a whole class on the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Like it's, a, it's a class that every student takes. But in that class, you know, basically we go through a lot of the church councils, and we kind of just look for proof texts for the Trinity. It wasn't, we didn't talk about Unitarianism at all. Like, that wasn't even really a discussion. It was mainly yeah. just, you know, here's the Trinity, here's a few proof texts if you ever need to prove it to somebody. And the professor was nice, and, and he was genuine. He just, you know, he just didn't really look into the other side at all. Um, I'm curious about that. Looking back on it, like, what did they think that the doctrine of the Trinity was? It's interesting. Each professor kind of had a little bit different view, and some of the more philosophical professors, you know, had different views as well. But I would say the the normal definition that they teach you in every Trinitarian class that you're supposed to memorize is something along the lines of one God in three persons, equal in glory, differing in role, some, something along those lines. They had their own sort of summary of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know any DTS professors, but I've run into DTS professors online once or twice over the years. And sometimes I get like a negative Mysterian vibe. Like it's kind of, it's all incomprehensible. There's no good analogy. There's no good model. It's just God is three in some way that we can't really understand. He's one in this different way that we also can't really understand. Yes. Was that the thrust of it or was it, you know eternal dance of three friends or it's really just kind of like three personae that, you know, is really oneself. Was there any sort of interpretation that was standard or, or I guess you're saying it was depends you know, on the professor? Yeah, I think it did. I think that was like what they were taught to teach us in the Trinity class. But if you ask each individual professor, I'm sure they would have a different opinion, but I definitely did hear, you know, mystery was appealed to all the time. And that's, that's actually what you know, got me on this whole journey. So in this class, we were going through the Council of Chalcedon and Eutychianism. So, you know, Eutychianism, it's this idea that you can mix the natures of Christ. So his God nature and his man nature become one nature. And they say, no, you know, that's a heresy. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, so you can't mix his natures. Cool, cool. I'm following along. And then they get to the Council of Chalcedon. And in that council, there's an interesting quote, and they say, you know, his natures are indivisible. So you also can't divide his natures. You can't split them apart. 
And so my professor said, you know, I, I still remember this clearest day. He was just like, you can't split them apart. You can't mix them. Jesus's two natures of fully God and fully man, they just stand side by side. And I was just like, what does that mean? Like, what do you mean they stand side by side, but they're not separate? Like, I, I don't understand what you mean by that. Huh. And so I asked him, maybe it was the grace of God, but, you know, God put on my heart this idea of, well, what do you do about Jesus's death on the cross? Because I've always heard, you know, his man nature died or his flesh died, but his God nature didn't really die. Which is what some of the church fathers say. Yes, and mm-hmm. and I think I noticed even you know you and your in your debate with Dr. Michael Brown. That's what he appealed to. He kind of appealed to uh, the man nature dying, but he was really kind of vague about it. Um, yeah, at one point he said that Jesus didn't really die, and I was like, really, bro? But yeah, he, he didn't that, get in trouble for that. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was shocking to me. So, anyways, that that's the answer. I mean, these are top Trinitarian scholars. I mean, not only are they going against Chalcedon, but they're saying things that are just like clearly against the Bible. And so that was kind of shocking to me. So anyways, when I asked my professor this question, he just said, it's a mystery. You know, I said, you can't split apart the natures of Jesus and we know God can't die. Did Jesus die on the cross? Like what happened? Like, you know, what happened on the cross basically? And he just said, it's a mystery. Hmm. And I was just, that to me, even as a full-blown Trinitarian, and I, you know, I had no intentions of becoming a Unitarian, I just like that stuck with me. And I just thought, you know, how can we call this literally the central act of the Christian faith, Jesus' death and resurrection? How can we call that a mystery and say, we don't really know what happened there? It's like the Bible seems to be very clear about what happened. Um, Yeah, no, it's very straightforward. He died. I mean, that's the person who died, but then that would be the same person as this eternal divine son who, if he's fully divine, wouldn't he be essentially immortal? Yeah. There's kind of a standard interpretation of Chalcedon or Chalcedon, however we want to say it. Yeah. Which I find in a lot of the recent scholarship, which is basically this council tells us what to say and what not to say, but it doesn't actually tell us how to think about it. Like it's just, you can't say this, you can't say this, you have to <laughs> sort of play in this sandbox. Yeah. But the actual content, like we're not going to actually tell you. The things that you said, I mean, those are what a Chalcedonian person is supposed to say, but if you were to try to parse that into an actual view of the incarnation, you could get a whole bunch of different ones, right? All the ones that analytic theologians talk about, they all agree with those words, but they come up with these very different theories. You know, for instance, the composite Christ where, you know, he's got two parts or relative identity, they're, they're all going to say that. So just saying that doesn't really tell you what to think. But yeah, you, you sure put your finger on like a really blazing, obvious problem. If the one yeah. person there is the divine person, which is the view, then how can a divine person die? So they didn't say he tasted death or experienced death or any of these kind of no. weasel phrases. <laughs> they just no. went straight for the mystery. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Yeah, he that professor in particular he did appeal the mystery a lot. So you know that was a very common thing. But it's it's funny how you know they kind of couch it in a in a really positive light. Like it's oh it's such a beautiful mystery. And yes, yeah, some things about God we can't fully comprehend, you know, his omniscience or how he could be immaterial. We don't really know what that's like. Mm-hmm. But to just couch like these very clear human things as mystery, I don't know. It's just, 
it's a really good technique, honestly, to keep people Trinitarians. But when you really start to question it, it's very, very annoying sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of just a conversation stopper, isn't it? I mean, yeah. If it's a mystery, that means that in this life, at least, nobody's going to make sense of this. And so, therefore, you should stop trying to make sense of it. Yes, absolutely. When the Trinity's podcast returns, how did Johnny Barnes's friends react, and how did Dallas Theological Seminary react to his change of mind? One of the comments that I've gotten as, you know, we've we've kind of started telling people about Unitarianism and our belief, one of the most common answers we get is you just don't have enough faith. Like you're you're just trying to you're trying to figure out everything. Mm. You just need to have faith. And it's just like I don't know where this dichotomy came about of faith and logic. I'm not trying to be, you know, unfaithful. I'm just trying to be logical and faithful. I don't think we have to throw away logic in order to have faith. Yeah. I think it's the old canard about anybody who doesn't just go along with all of this is is some kind of, you know, rationalist who proudly refuses to believe things that he can't fully understand or fully explain or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I haven't really met any of those people among Unitarian Christians. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I would have expected to before I knew this crowd. Just because yes. that's the lore, you know. You know, you were in the Trinitarian bubble too, right? Yeah, all the way up until about, oh, I don't know, well, past the age of 30. I took a long time to figure it out because I had to like chase down every last crazy little theory and every last New Testament passage. And it yep. took me kind of several years. Yep, I was the exact same way. I, I Yeah, I, I truly was, you know, because of the ramifications of our society, I, you know, really made sure that I didn't think that there was one text in the New Testament that I thought really taught Trinitarianism. And if I would have, I would have stayed. That was my attitude. Like, one would be enough. Just give me yeah. one. One clear text, not one like, you know, yeah. oh, well, there's, you know, this is how we interpret it. It's like, no, there's, it, the Bible clearly defines God as one, so where does it clearly define him as three, or three in one? Yeah, as one someone, right? One Yahweh is a personal name, Yep. and the Father is the title of a person, so Trinitarians will talk really abstractly about, you know, well, there's one God, and this one's divine, that one's divine, that one's divine. Like, well, yeah, but don't leave out the part about which one is the one God. <laughs> that always, <laughs> like, yeah. isn't it clear? <laughs> like. I don't know yeah. what it would take to make it clear. But anyway, so you took this Trinity class, and then I take it you finished seminary, and did this just kind of always stick with you? And then you, when did you kind of come back to the topic? That's like the crack in the egg. And basically, from then on, I just really started researching. That's kind of where I discovered biblical Unitarianism was just really doing research online on certain passages. Because, you know, if you type in online, you know, mm-hmm. 
other interpretations of John 1 1 or something like that, or you know, something along those lines, you'll come across some biblical Unitarian websites and different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I discovered it. Um, and then I started thinking, wow, this, this is making a lot of sense. So it was a long process. And, and yes, I, I did graduate from seminary about five months ago, like this last May or so. It was a very long process of debating and researching. So you just graduated this year, 2022? Yes, oh, yes. Okay. But you made the switch while you were still a student? Yes. So I I really kind of came to believe in Unitarianism probably a year to a year and a half before I graduated. Mm-hmm. And um, I have told the seminary about that. And they're actually in the process right now of you know, considering revoking my degree or not, I think. Wait, what? <laughs> yes. You can do this? So, you know, at the seminary, they have you sign a doctrinal statement, right? So, I mean, we could get into a little bit of, of our thinking in this whole process, but me and my wife and, and thinking through what to do here, because it was a really unfortunate situation, right? Yeah, you're you're deeply invested personally and financially and yeah, we had already put in thousands and thousands of dollars and two and a half years of studying. And, you know, I had come to this belief truly just through studying the word and not, you know, I wasn't I wasn't enticed by some creepy guy who's like, hey, come become a Unitarian. No, I, I just studied the scriptures and I found that there was a huge flaw in Trinitarianism. And so I really didn't feel like I should drop out of seminary because of that. Mm hmm. And so, you know, we finished, but I knew that DTS would disagree. And I know that, you know, they're strongly Trinitarian and would not love the fact that they produced a a biblical Unitarian graduate. Um, So I went back and, you know, told them the situation. And so they're they're considering revoking my degree. They're in the process of it right now. Um, But it's just a really unfortunate situation, too, I think, because... Some of my family and friends have already come at me with the the accusation of, you know, you're not qualified enough. I I work as a Bible translator with Spirit and Truth right now for the REV Bible. Mm -hmm. And they'll always come at me with, well, you're not qualified. You know, you don't have a PhD by your name. And it's just really funny because at the same time that they're claiming that, they're saying, well, you deserve to get your degree revoked. And it's just like, you got to choose one or the other. Either I'm, you know, either I'm not qualified and well, you know you're happy with that or i am qualified and you kind of have to just deal with that that's not much of an argument you know hey guess what you're not qualified like how qualified do you have to be yeah and why wouldn't this just shoot down any protestant in the 1500s oh yeah you know, look all the uh, scholars are are catholic and orthodox and who are you oh puny yes. ordinary man or person with a couple of degrees uh <laughs> Who are you to disagree with centuries of these wonderful patristic sources and stuff? Yes. Nobody. Just, I'm just a Christian. Yep, exactly. It, there's just so many flaws with that argument. One, it's just we're all equal in Christ. Like we, we shouldn't be, oh, man, you don't have a degree by your name. You're not. Yeah, you're just not good enough. But anyways, not even along those lines. It's also even today. In modern our modern society, we would be so happy to have somebody with a master's degree who's had four semesters of Greek go be a Bible translator overseas. That would be exceptional. I think some of those overseas ministries would love that. Mm-hmm. But if it's an English translation, no, I'm I'm not qualified. You know, I, right? Those are only for the PhDs. Yeah. 
I don't think I've ever heard of a university revoking their degree because of a theological change. Like, is this in the fine print? Like when you sign up, like, is there a, we'll take your degree away clause in there? Cause if not, <laughs> this seems like blazingly unethical to me. Well, I think they would say, see, it's, it's such a blurry line, right? Cause when you're believing biblical Unitarianism or when I was, you know, in kind of my last year and I was pretty, pretty sure about it. I still did have to sign a doctrinal statement that said I believed mm-hmm. in the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where they would say, hey, you, you kind of, you hid that from us. Yeah. Um, and so I, I understand. I don't think they're trying to be, you know, really rude about it. And, and the professor I talked to was really nice about it. But it, it's just it's just an unfortunate set of, of structure, how they've structured even seminary, where it is an unquestionable doctrine. Like, in seminary, we did not question it, and you cannot question it and be a student there. And so people always ask, like, well, why didn't you go talk to your professors more about it? And it's just like, I, I know they're not coming at it from an unbiased standpoint, and they truly can't change their mind. So, yeah, I mean, talk about invested. I mean, those are the guys that are really invested. They got their career on the line, their livelihood. Exactly. Um, this is what shocked me when I started to look into it way back in like the late 90s. You know, as a philosopher, you seek out the strongest arguments of all sides of a question. Say, if you believe in universals or not, or free will or not. Yeah. You go read the best anti-free will guy you can find, then you read the free will guy. And then you just throw all the arguments in, you're like, you know, may the strongest arguments win. This is how yep. you pursue truth. Yep. And I was really shocked when I just, you know, pick up theology textbooks and it's really got just poor or shallow or almost non-existent coverage of this whole aspect of the Reformation, not to mention ancient Christianity of various kinds. I was just shocked that they had become accustomed to just not hearing the other side. And yes, part of the reason I was so shocked was I was learning that Trinitarians and Unitarians used to have very public debates. <laughs> so, for instance, I found a book by uh, the most famous American Unitarian pastor named Channing, where he was debating this very good biblical scholar named Moses Stewart. Very interesting book. So, you know, why was it worth debating in, you know, 1830 or whatever? And but you not know, now. in the 21st century, like suddenly this is just beyond the pale. Yeah. Were you afraid of just being a cultist or have you been accused of that, you know, just (laughs) getting sucked in somehow, some kind of evil system? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was a big problem, you know, as we were praying through and just kind of talking to each other and to other people about it was, it's so, you know, kind of surrounded in this idea that it's a cult. And so it's not just that you're changing your mind on a theological topic, you're becoming a cult member. Mm-hmm. That was just a really difficult thing because we were, we were just wrestling through, you know, we truly believe this is true. Are there normal people? Like, let's go look into these organizations and see, are the people normal or are they, are they cultish? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we found was, yeah, they seem pretty reasonable and normal. Nobody's, you know, saying, if you don't agree with us, you're going to be cast out. And so, one of the actually really convincing things that Jerry Weirwell did. Um, so when I kind of first was exploring Unitarianism, I actually reached out to Sean Finnegan and he did not answer, <laughs> but uh, Jerry answered. His inbox probably looks like mine, which is, it's a dumpster fire that yes, yes. And I totally gets lost it. there every day. It's, it's shameful. <laughs> Talking about my own inbox to be clear, but I'm guessing he's, his is probably overflowing, but 
Yes, and we've we've laughed about it. But um, so Jerry answered. Anyways, in my conversations with Jerry, I'm exploring Unitarianism, and you know, honestly, it was truly just the humility which with which he approached like some of my questions because I came at him with Philippians two and John one, and I was just like, how how are you understanding these passages? And he was like, you know, here's my explanation. But honestly, these are pretty tough passages. Like he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not super clear. These aren't super clear passages. That's exactly right. I don't think they're super clear for the Trinitarian either, though. You know, they're just, oh, yeah. they're one-off passages. They're hard for everybody. Yeah, that's the classic one. I, you know, I've actually walked through John 1.1 1, 1 with, with quite a few of my friends and said, you know, you think that it seems to be clearly teaching Trinitarianism. Mm-hmm. Let's walk through this real fast. And so mm-hmm. I walk through them with the phrase in John 1, 1, B, you know, the word was with God. So you think that's Jesus there, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, he was with God. Okay, who's God there? And they're like, the Father. Okay, I'm like, okay, cool. And then in, in John 1, 1, C, I say, okay, and then the word was God. And then they say, oh, wait a second. So and I'm like, so the word was the Father, modalism (laughs) they're like oh wait a second no that okay that's not what we really believe so it's not yeah you're exactly right it's not clear even for the trinitarian as they as they like to think um and as as they've been taught you know it's it's such a you know they'll throw it out there the word was god and then no discussion no like critical thinking Mm. yeah it's just a little bit unfortunate the different unitarian interpretations they're out there in the literature it's just that the tradition has chosen to forget them. So yeah, I guess that's why they think it's all just been a slam dunk for the Trinity the whole time. Yeah. And that's actually, you know, we, we could get into that maybe real fast. Um, I actually just met with my pastor recently. Um, Chloe and I met with him. Now, do you still go to the Presbyterian church? Uh, no, sorry. I go to a, as of a few months ago, we went to a, a Southern Baptist church. Okay. Um, which I, I do love, you know, I love a lot of the people there, and mm-hmm. I think it's a great church. I do think that they're um, really healthy in a lot of ways, which, you know, you can't say about a ton of churches. So it is a really great church. But anyway, so, you know, my pastor, we were talking, and so they said that we are no longer members, which I expected, you know, I, I understand that, you know, we don't agree with the, the doctrinal statement that you have to believe as a member there. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, no surprises there. But, you know, he, he said, you know, we're not going to debate the Trinity. I'm like, yeah, I totally get it. Like, you know, we don't want to, it's just a little lunch, a lunch get together. Um, but he said, you know, one of his things that he just kept repeating was that church history was on his side, basically. You know, th- there's just so many people agree with him. And he just kind of just kept saying that. And, <laughs> and you know, as well as I do, you know, that's, that's just a logical fallacy. Like, it doesn't matter how many people believe something that doesn't make it true. Yes, but it's also a very odd thing for a Protestant to say. I know, yeah. You know? Yeah. Whoever's arguing with Martin Luther is going to be like, hey man, I got church history on my side. I mean, just look around. Where, yep. where are the Protestants, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's what I've mentioned to some of my other friends that have, that have mentioned that. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, let's not argue about the Trinity. I mean, why not? You know, like, it's hard. He probably thinks he'd have to spend two weeks studying up on it. But yeah. like, why, why is it we can't have a friendly argument about something like this? I know. I, I, it's, it's unfortunate. I think the, the idea of debate and dialogue is so, so healthy. 
And in a worst case scenario, even if you're a Trinitarian and you stay a Trinitarian after we talk, at least you know the Bible better. At least you had to actually check up your arguments and make sure that they actually are valid. So, I mean, worst case scenario, even if I don't change their mind, a debate is healthy, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can read a Fred Sanders book and find out three quarters of the way through that most of the traditional Trinity proof texts don't work anymore, so we got to roll up our sleeves and find some new ones. Or yep. you could have a friendly conversation with your neighborhood biblical Unitarian <laughs> who would help you to see that, you know, the Father and I are one, or before Abraham was, I am. No, these don't really, you don't really get a Trinity out of any of these things. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. may, maybe you've got an argument, but that, you know, just citing those isn't going to be helpful. So, you know, let's, yeah. let's hear the whole argument. You know, my first question to people is just, you know, what do you think the Trinity is? And then they'll say a couple things and I'll ask a couple more questions and, you know, we can, yep. we can kind of take it from there because if you just tell me you're a Trinitarian, I, I really don't know what you think oh, yeah. about the one God. I, I know that you're on that team like sociologically, but I, I really don't know what you think. Yeah, which it's, I mean, there's so many, so many trails we could go down, but yes, absolutely. You're, you're right. When the Trinity's podcast returns, must one believe in the Trinity in order to be saved? I think one of the most interesting things too is people will say, you know, I'm a Trinitarian. Uh, you know, you have to believe in the Trinity in the Trinity to be saved. But one, they can't really define it. Like the average Trinitarian, you know, you poll a hundred Trinitarians, maybe five of them would have like a actual um, view of the Trinity that lines up with church history. That church history would say is not heresy. Yeah. If you ask the other ninety-five. Yeah. Honestly, almost all of them would fall into some sort of heresy, mm -hmm. which is just the funniest thing because it's and I don't know, it, it, it's just as long as but they're but they're branded with the name Trinity, so it's okay, you know. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Yeah. In my experience, it's a lot harder to deal with friends and family members who just simply, for whatever reason, are not willing to talk about it at all. Those are the yeah. hardest ones. The if they want yeah. to talk about it, great. You know, maybe we'll come to a mutual understanding a little bit. Maybe we'll agree or disagree, or maybe they'll rethink their position or I'll rethink mine. But if we're just going to avoid it, then that's the hardest one to deal with. Yes, absolutely. You know, what do you say if you get a person who um, has the kind of off-the-shelf standard apologetics mindset about this, right? So there's one God, the Father's God, the Son's God, the Spirit's God. Those three are different from each other. There you go. That's the Trinity, right? Like, can I just proof text all of those things very easily? And what would you say to that kind of argument? Yeah. One of the things I really try to point out to people is it seems like they're working from, which is they are, they're working from this theological belief 
And then they're reading that into the scriptures. And you can do that. You know, people have been doing that for thousands of years. And you can find certain scriptures that seem to support your view. You know, you can find John mm-hmm. 17, 5. That sounds pretty pre-existent. You know, if you're just mm-hmm. going to, if you already have this idea that Jesus is pre-existent and then you read that, it's going to confirm what you're already thinking. Mm-hmm. So what I try to tell them is, great, you know, you you can do what you're doing. You can start with this belief and you can find passages in the Bible that seem to agree with you. What I would say is, where are you getting this original belief from? You know, my principle that I'm starting with is that the God, that God is one, one person, you know, all throughout Isaiah 45, you know, you have the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. That's what every Jew believed. It's not talked about, not changed anywhere in the New Testament. There's no arguments or debates about, oh my gosh, y'all are giving a new definition of who God is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so try to tell them, you know, look, it's clearly defined in Scripture that God is one. That's the principle that I'm working from. Where is it clearly defined that God is three? Because that's the principle you're working from, that mm-hmm. he's three or three and one. And, and I know the Trinitarian arguments, you're, you're supposed to believe that God is three just as much as he is one. They're equal. You can't say, oh, his oneness is just, it's a little bit more emphasized that he's unified. No, like as a true Trinitarian, you're supposed to believe that he's equally three as he is one. So I'm saying there's the vast majority of texts that teach that God is one, where are the texts that teach that he's three? Because mm-hmm. you're working from that principle, but where is that principle found? So that's what I would kind of try to go towards. Um, yeah, because, you know, there isn't any proof text that's plausible or even just a passage. You know, there there isn't a passage in the whole Bible where a study Bible editor could look at this paragraph and then decide to insert the heading, that God is three persons. Like, it's just... It's never a subject, (laughs) right? It doesn't, Yeah, it's just simply never taught. So it's just purely inferred. Like that should worry us a little bit. Yes. And again, especially with a doctrine that we say, you're a heretic, you're going to burn in hell forever for not believing it. Like that's like, to me, it's like, cool. You know, we can debate on the Trinity Unitarianism all day long, but for you to make that level of a claim that, you know, this is a matter of salvation, then it better be clear in Scripture. You know, the interesting thing I've noticed, too, is that so I've already been told, you know, that I'm basically an unbeliever many, many times. Mm-hmm. But Trinitarians don't go walking around and tell non-Christians that. Like, we don't walk up on the street and tell people, hey, just to let you know, do you believe that Jesus, you know, died and resurrected for your sins? And they'll say, no, I don't, I don't believe in God. We don't say, okay, cool. You know, just to let you know you're, you're going to hell. Like we just don't do that. But for some reason <laughs> with Unitarianism, yeah. like people are just so open to saying, Hey, you know, you're, you're wrong. And like, you're, you're an unbeliever essentially. Like you're, you're denying the faith. Yeah. It's traditional um, for the fangs and the claws to come out. Yeah. But you know, it seems to me, Johnny, that Protestants are really double-minded about this. So there is out there like the hard-nosed attitude like is in the pseudo-Athanasian creed where mm-hmm. just you're going to go to hell unless you believe all this creedal stuff about the Trinity. But then, you know, if you talk to a more thoughtful apologist, like, I don't know, I think Rob Bowman thinks this, Dr. Robert M. Bowman Jr., they realize that, hey, when a kid, you know, wants to be born again, 
or when somebody goes down the aisle at an evangelistic service or something, uh-huh. like we just ask them like the real basics. Like no one's asking them, do you think God is three in one? <laughs> persons are homo, seon, you know? Yeah. How do you feel about Chalcedon before they get baptized? Yeah. Like, what? You know, do, no, you, do you agree there's two natures in one person in the composite Christ? You know, it just doesn't come up. So, okay, but they realize that, right? And they don't think yeah. this eight-year-old kid is going to hell because he yep. doesn't know this because no one told him, right? Yep. So then they they switch like okay well that can't be right okay but it's got to be it's got to be some kind of disqualifier so then they come up with something that's not in the tradition which is that um, well it's not in the Athanasian Creed anyway um, they say you can't like knowingly deny it like once you're informed yes. then okay then you're going to hell like <laughs> I've heard that so many times yeah dude. so many times because I've asked the same question. But yeah, it is it is baffling to me because that's just you as a a more read philosopher. You know, I think you have a a clear understanding of this, and and I think I'm right. But it's like, is is that not just a complete illogical move to say something is a requirement for salvation, but these kids did not have it when they believed. You know, they did not understand the Trinity when they believed. Yeah. But you're calling that a requirement still. You're still saying it's a requirement for salvation. But if you hear about it and deny it, then that's when it becomes, it's like, wait, what do you mean? If it's a requirement? Well, yes. A requirement, no, you, you've put your finger on a tremendous problem. And I think um, the famous early modern subordinationist Unitarian Samuel Clark discusses it, I think, in the intro to his book, The Scripture Doctrine of the Trinity, you can't make a contract that says, you know, to be in the club, you have to do ABC or believe ABC. And now, now once you're in, you have to be, you have to believe ABCDEF. Like yeah. you can't like pull this switcheroo. It, it, a contract yes. is a contract. Yes, exactly. And he also makes the point that it's, a, it's not up to us to change the terms of, of this covenant either. But anyway, yep. the, 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 the terms you come in under are the terms that you must uh, continue to satisfy to be in, right? Otherwise, yes. there's this weird switcheroo, which there's no justification for it. There's really essentially two different ways of salvation. You know, you're saying, yeah, there's a way of salvation for an eight-year-old. You know, they don't have to believe in the Trinity. But if you're a 20-year-old and you've heard about the Trinity, then there's a whole different path of salvation for you. It's like, what? Like, where is that in the Bible? Well, it, it counsels ignorance, right? Because if you're uninformed then it doesn't matter if you don't believe this stuff. But yeah. the second that you're informed, now you have this ironclad duty to believe it or you're going to hell. So yep. The smart thing to do would be, especially if it's a difficult subject, and it is, the smart thing to do is to stay uninformed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's Which like, I yeah, think it's like, is part of the reason why a lot of people do that. Like They just think no good can become of this, not only socially, but as far as my salvation, like if I don't think about it, I won't have a heretical view. Yep. And I can just exactly. muddle my way through to the kingdom with these confusions, basically. Yeah. And, and that promotes what? It promotes people that don't actually want to study the Bible. Cause it's like you, you, when you just promote this idea of mystery or you promote this idea that, you know, the more you look into it, the more confusing it gets that just it doesn't encourage people to to want to walk with God, and so I think that's just it's a hurtful thing. Yeah, there's a bit of idolatry. You know, the church history is on my side. Kind of attitude. I mean, it goes hand in hand with the you know how could so many capital G great capital M men 
uh, you know, have thought, you know, how, how on earth could a person disagree with Augustine or yeah, Aquinas yeah. or Calvin? Like, I mean, my view, I look at these guys like I look at historical philosophers. They're just people. Yep. They're insightful on some topics and they're all full of beans on other topics. Yep. And there's good things about them and there's sometimes very tragic aspects to their character. You know, like Luther and his raging anti-Semitism, for instance, <laughs> yeah. or Calvin's whole personality. But yeah. Um, yeah, I exaggerate a little bit. He has he had good points <laughs> in his personality, but um, they're just people. You know, like you shouldn't yep. idolize them and think that they're these towering pillars of insight that you just couldn't possibly disagree with. Yep, absolutely. Calvin somewhere kicks around that silly old quotation. It comes from one of the Gregories. I can't remember maybe Gregory of Nazianzus. It's like, you know, as soon as I think about the oneness, then I'm thinking about the threeness, and then I'm back to the oneness. <laughs> right? And it, sound, it sounds so profound. And then you're like, he's just confused. Yeah. As soon as somebody busts that out, like this profound you know, pearls of wisdom, I'm like, okay, they're yep. not really thinking very clearly about this stuff. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's my, my Trinity professor, um, you know, he, he really did emphasize the profound and, you know, mystery. He, he really believed, it. I don't think he's trying to be deceitful, but yeah, it's just, you know, really think about what are you saying? What are you teaching? The old school Protestants back in the 1700s, sometimes they would compare the doctrine of the Trinity to, you know, the classical Roman Catholic view about transubstantiation. Right? Yeah. So after the priest says, this is my body and this is my blood, then this wafer is the whole body of a man. And this yep. cup of wine is all of this man's blood. Yep. It's the same in all the other churches of the world on this Sunday. I mean, <laughs> like, don't we just know this is false just by like yeah. looking at it and like tasting it and stuff? Like, yeah. It looks like it's the testimony of Mother Church against like this mountain of evidence that we have from our senses. Yes. You know, you're kind of imposing on it's like you're trying to pull one over on us. You know, come on. Like you're treating yeah. us like we can't just see what this is, smell it, taste it, touch it, etc. There's yeah, something it, similar going on. You're treating us like we can't think about this. Absolutely. Like we don't see the contradictions or we don't see the problems. Yeah, you know, I think you're exactly right. There's been, you know, that that kind of idea that reality doesn't really have to line up with our faith. It's made its way into so many doctrines. So I would say, you know, some of the main ones would be like, you know, soul sleep or something. The idea that when you die, you know, your spirit goes to be with God, your body stays here. So really, like the body doesn't really matter because, you know, you get to go be with God in your spirit. And then, so, you know, that doesn't really line up with reality, because in reality, you know, you have dead bodies lying in the ground. Then you have transubstantiation, another great point. Like, it doesn't really line up with reality. You know, Jesus didn't say, this is my body and my blood, and then he cut off his arm. You know, he didn't do that. He didn't even, so even the very first people eating the Lord's Supper did not eat the true body and blood of Christ. So, I don't know why we would think that 2,000 years later, we actually are eating the true body and blood of Christ. Yeah, they have their proof texts and they have their authority. You know, he says, this is my body. And he says, like, don't you believe Jesus? You know, and yeah, how could, um, how could Thomas Aquinas be wrong? It's, he's such a great man. It's very similar. <laughs> yeah. When the Trinity's podcast returns, 
I asked Mr. Barnes what advice he would give to someone who is deciding to finally look into these issues for himself. Suppose somebody's listening and they're kind of wondering about this. Maybe Johnny Barnes isn't a rationalist, whatever that is. Maybe he's not a cultist. Maybe he's not like blazingly uninformed. I mean, gee, studying up on Greek, working on a Bible translation, like that sounds more informed than 99.9% of evangelical Christians. What would you say to a person who is maybe thinking about looking into it? What kind of advice would you give? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Quite a few things. One, don't be afraid to look into it because people are telling you you're, you're going to burn in hell for that. So like, you know, we've been told that many, many times and it's it's tough. It's tough to hear that over and over again. But we just constantly go back to the scriptures and say, what did the scriptures say we need to believe to be saved? And, you know, you look at passages like Romans 10, 9, you know. Yeah, let me read that. Hold on a minute. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? It says nothing about the Trinity. Or any of the sermons in Acts. Yeah, nothing in Acts. You know, Chloe and I, we actually went through and looked through probably 15, 20 different verses that specifically talk about salvation and, you know, what you need to believe in terms of salvation. And, you know, I actually went and looked at every single occurrence of the word gospel, evangelion, uh, in the New Testament. And every single one, not one of them, is there any mention of Jesus being God, any mention of the Trinity. It's all about Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And it's about his kingdom. You know, most of the time the word good news is used, it's in reference to the kingdom, that Jesus is the king Mm -hmm. and that he's bringing in the kingdom that the Jews longed for. And so I would just say that, like, first off, please don't listen to everybody that says you can't look into it. It's an untouchable doctrine. You're going to go to hell. Like, they're welcome to say that, and they I, they have said that, and they will say that to you. But please, just listen to the scriptures. What do they say that you need to believe to be saved? And then once you realize, oh, this actually isn't a matter of salvation, I'm actually not going to lose my salvation by looking into this, then you know you can start looking into a bunch of debates and, and, and all those things. And you know, we have a lot of resources on the Biblical Unitarian site, and I know Dale has a bunch of resources on, on the Trinity's podcast and all of that. So, you know, there's a ton of resources you can find. Pause on that for a second. Biblicalunitarian.com. It's a site that's been around for a good while. It's still being developed and updated. I mean, way back when I was looking into this in the early 2000s, or at least the mid 2000s, I remember, you know, I was looking up, well, okay, what about this verse? What about that verse? And yep. There's some very helpful commentary there, as is there is very helpful commentary in the notes of the REV Bible. Yes. Finish your advice, but then I want to hear more about the REV project. Yeah. 
Also, I'm you know I'm updating the BU website all the time. Like uh, just recently, um, I updated. I think uh, John eight fifty eight. I think I updated a little bit. Um, Genesis one one. We have commentary there about just the word God. Some people say, look, Elohim is in the plural, therefore it's mm-hmm. referring to a Trinity. So I actually just updated that really recently and talk about why it's it's not it's not actually teaching a Trinity. Um, so, anyways. In terms of advice, please, please, please come at it with an open mind. Be willing to change your mind. Like that's that's one of the most essential things. You would be surprised, Dale, at the amount of people that I've said, I mean, almost everybody, almost all my friends and family that I've talked to have said, I'm not willing to change my mind. Uh, like I'm, I'm really not even willing. And so if, when that's the case, I'm like, okay, like we don't even really need to debate it because Truly, like if you're if you're coming at it from the aspect of I'm I'm not willing to change my mind, you're never going to see the evidence fairly. Um, well, I would ask what what if Scripture wasn't for it but was against it? Like, would you be willing to change your mind then? Yeah, yeah, and they would just say, you know, well, I just know in my heart that that's not true. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Dale. That's a that's a great question. So yeah, I mean that that's to me. If you do have an open mind. I've already talked to one or two people that I've I've kind of walked with them through. They were already considering Unitarianism, but as I kind of walked it through with them, and I knew that they were pretty open-minded, I was I was like almost sure that they would come to believe in it because it, to me it is very very clear. I think there are much harder doctrines out there. Like I've spent a lot of time wrestling with the end times and eschatology. Mm-hmm. I think that's a much much harder field of study. Yeah, I agree. Personally, like Unitarianism, it's really not that hard. I think once you're able to take off the Trinitarian glasses, it's really not that confusing. I've heard so many people say, wow, like the scriptures make so much more sense. Like when I'm reading Jesus saying, you know, the Father gave me authority and the Father gave me the words to say, you know, that just makes sense now that I understand that he's a human. Like, yeah, he does need the Father to give him the words to say because he's not omniscient. So th- there's just so many so many things that you start reading that you're like, wow, that just makes so much more sense. There's a problem here, which is that I figured this out a while back. I actually have a kind of DTS connection myself. I don't think I've told you. Oh, really? Yeah, I grew up in North Dallas. And when I was a teenager, from about 12 to 18, I went to a church that at the time was called Fellowship Bible Church North. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was largely staffed by DTS graduates and maybe a couple faculty, like the pastor, I think, was an adjunct, and youth pastors were students or graduates. So I kind of know their theology and their and their vibe and so on. And But anyway, the, the, the broader problem I think that you're pointing at is it's part of Protestant ideology that we're the Bible people and other people have tradition. That's for Catholics, right? <laughs> Yeah, we don't yeah. have tradition, but those guys—they <laughs> got all the tradition. But we we just base everything on the Bible, so that's like our self-image. Yep. But then the problem is that saying it so or thinking it so doesn't make it so. So yeah, we do have traditions that we have not based properly or well on the Bible. We can point our finger at this and that and say that's the justification, but it's not really based there. You know, one of them is, you know, you're going to hell unless you agree with these traditional dogmas or the traditional language. Yep. And, you know, when you when you go looking for that in scripture, 
it's not really there. You know, it's, there's nothing, it even looks like it where the Trinity, you know, okay, maybe baptized in the name of the father, son, and spirit, like maybe it's there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like going to hell for not believing the Trinity, like nothing even, there's nothing even close. Yeah. I mean, another one is um, that Jesus had to be God in order to atone for our sins. Oh yeah. Like, it suggests he had to be a human, but the idea that he has to be like fully divine like it's just not there, but it's yeah. but it is something that's passed on. So we have our tradition. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're insufficiently reformed sometimes. I think. Yeah, yeah. I've, I think I've heard somebody in the the Unitarian movement mention that that we're just more reformed <laughs> than than Protestants. Uh, but but I think it's true. Genuinely, I think that's actually a really pretty accurate way to say it. Like I think truly, even what I've done, you know, for the last few years. And most of what I did during seminary was personal research. So, you know, I, I did spend some time doing classwork and um, that, that's something I want to mention as well is people think, oh, just because you've been to seminary, you must be like a scholar or something. Well, I mean, it helps. Yes, there's definitely some things you learn, but I think some people just aren't naturally researchers. And so, and that's okay. And, and they, they still get seminary degrees. And so mm-hmm. I think people will say, well, look, but, but my pastor is saying this, Johnny, you just graduated from seminary. There's no way, you know, you've looked into this more than he has. I personally knew quite a few people in seminary that did zero more research than what they required to do for the classes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong or sinful, Yeah, but just to realize just because you've been to seminary, that doesn't necessarily mean you've really worked out doctrines for yourself. You've been mm-hmm. taught what to what to believe about doctrines. I know exactly what I'm supposed to believe, like what DTS has taught me for the millennium in, in Jesus's future kingdom on earth. I actually have changed my mind after reading the Bible more about that. But it's like, I, I know what I'm supposed to believe or what I've been taught, but it's, you know, it's always that battle of comparing it with scripture and saying, okay, well, are we just saying this because it's tradition or are there actually really good reasons for this? Um, and, and they're not wrong about everything. You know, I'm not not throwing everything out. Like I think the idea of substitutionary atonement, that Jesus truly died as our sacrifice and our substitute, that's a, a genre and an idea that you can find all the way back into Genesis. And it's all throughout the Old Testament. I think it's it's clearly foreshadowing that. Um, and I think the book of Hebrews is explicit in describing that. So, I, you know, I think there's really good biblical evidence for that. So I'm not throwing everything out and just becoming, you know, saying they're just wrong about everything. You know, th- there is some stuff that they are right about, but it's just being careful to weigh, you know, what is just tradition and what's not. Next week, in part two of our conversation, Johnny Barnes and I offer some further advice for those who would be bold enough to reopen this issue with an open mind. We talk about what is and isn't in Scripture regarding the Holy Spirit, as well as the relevance of church history and the Bible translation work that Mr. Barnes is currently engaged in. Finally, don't forget to check out the blog post for this episode. It has a whole bunch of relevant links to things that we discussed in this episode. This week's thinking music has been the track Slider by Mr. Smith. As always, there's a link on the blog post for this episode at trinities.org where you can listen to or download that entire track.
Thanks for listening. We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.